Tonight's scripture reading is from the New Testament, Mark, chapter 14, verses 12 through 25. It's found on page 3 of your bulletins. And on the first day of the unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room? Where may I, may I eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There, prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at the table and eating, Jesus said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, Is it I? He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to them, and said, Take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly, I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. Well, I'm not preaching, so don't worry. Um, instead, we uh, have a guest speaker, a good friend of mine who is pastoring a Korean-American church um, out in Centerville, Virginia. I thought, uh, what an opportunity for him to come to bless us um, with the word because, you know, this guy, he just oozes with the gospel. You can't get very far without running into the gospel somehow. Whether you're eating, playing poker, I've not personally played with him, but I heard he's really good, um, or watching sports, he's always able to bring the gospel and turn that common moment into an uncommon moment where you are blessed, feeling like Jesus is with you. Um, you know, he is, to many, a pastor. To some, he is a myth, and to others, he's still a legend. Uh, from what I've heard, he is a martial arts master, uh, and he's also very good at basketball. But what makes him unique is that he does both on the court together. Uh, I don't know how that gets played out, but one of these days, I'm going to get a chance to see him. So I'm going to ask you to come up, Owen. We're going to pray for you, brother. Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your love for us and for the gospel. That really means everything, and that's changed everything. 
and all of us, including Owen, is a testament of that. And we're asking that you would now use him as your instrument to bring your word to us. And Lord, open up our minds, our hearts, so that we would receive, know, believe, but also be transformed by your word in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks, Mike, I think. Well, I bring you greetings from your sister church, uh, Christ Central Presbyterian Church. I serve as a senior minister there. And what a, what a joy, what a thrill it is for me and some of my staff to be with you tonight to celebrate this wonderful occasion. Uh, Mike, congratulations. Um, love you, brother. Love you a little less tonight, but I love you nonetheless. Uh, but I believe that this church, you are blessed uh, to have Mike as your associate pastor. He loves Jesus. He loves you. And it's so evident to me, and you are blessed to have him. Um, You know, my staff and I, we have heard such good reports of what God is doing with Grace D.C., how you are not only advancing the gospel right here in D.C., but how you're adorning the gospel with your good works. And, And it's been really over a year since my staff and I, we've been wanting to come and visit you, to learn from you. And, and we're just so grateful that we're finally able to do that uh, tonight. And Pastor Glenn, Pastor Mike, thank you for the opportunity to, uh, that you've given me uh, to preach God's word to your precious church. Um, I'm honored and I'm blessed. Um, I hear at Grace D.C. you celebrate the Lord's Supper every week. And so tonight, I want to preach a communion sermon, if that's okay with you. I hope it is. Um, And I pray that God would use this sermon to allow us to come to the table tonight with fresh joy. Well, the main point of my sermon is really simple. Come to the table. That's it. Come to this table. And I want you to come because at this table, you'll get to eat and drink with Jesus. At this table, you'll get to have communion and fellowship with the one who knows you all the way to the bottom but still loves you all the way to the highest skies. But why should you come to this table? Let me give you three reasons why you should come to this table tonight. First, because this table is a table of grace. Second, because this table is a table of satisfaction. And third, because this table is a table of hope. So here's the first reason why we should come to this table, because this table is a table of grace. You see, this table right here, is a table for sinners. This table is not for good people who get everything right or who never do anything wrong. This table is for bad people who can never seem to do anything right. Think about the first disciples that were there there with Jesus at the very first Lord's Supper. Were they good and great people? I don't think so. You see, in a matter of hours after this meal, what did they do? They all deserted Jesus. When things got dangerous, they all abandoned Jesus. They all ran away. Mark chapter 14, verse 50 says this, they all left him and they fled. They weren't heroic. They weren't loyal. They were cowards who deserted uh, their leader in order to save themselves. Now, I'm assuming because you're a church in D.C., you all watch House of Cards. Is that right? Is that just a gross stereotype? Well, I watch House of Cards, and I love that show, and I confess to you, I binge watch that series on Netflix. And Frank Underwood, the, the protagonist, or I don't know if he's a protagonist or antagonist, but the main character is a bad guy. But Frank Underwood has this great quote where he says this, What is the face of a coward? The back of his head as he runs through the battle. You see, all the disciples at the first table, 
were a bunch of cowards. And Peter, with that big mouth of his, who talked a big game, how did he do? You know, he said that he would never deny Jesus, that he would die if he had to, that he would be loyal to Jesus even if everyone else deserted him. But we know how that ended, don't we? And Peter committed the most infamous betrayal in human history. Peter ended up denying Jesus not once, not twice, but three times. In fact, Peter even swore he didn't know the man, that he had no relation to Jesus. You see, the people that Jesus shared the very first Lord's Supper with were a bunch of cowards that all deserted Jesus when Jesus needed them most. The first guests at the first Lord's Supper were not worthy guests. They were unworthy guests. And ever since then, every time the Lord's Supper is served, it is always served to unworthy guests. None of us are worthy to come to this table. All of us are unworthy. You know, I love the story of that uh, a famous Scottish seminary professor who was so fluent in Hebrew, his students affectionately called him Rabbi Duncan. He was also a pastor, and he would uh, routinely celebrate the Lord's Supper with his students. And at one particular time, as he was having the Lord's Supper with his students, as the cup was being passed from student to student, there was one particular woman, young woman, who was sobbing and weeping. Apparently, she was so overcome with her sin and her sense of unworthiness. As the cup came into her hands, she looked at the cup, weeping, shaking, but she would not drink of it. And she passed it to the next person because she felt so unworthy that she had no right to drink from that cup. Now, Rabbi Duncan saw what happened, and he waited for that cup to make its way around to him. And do you know what he did? He took that cup, got up, walked over to that young woman, put the cup to her mouth, and said, Take it, woman. It's for sinners. You know, if you're like me, there are days when you feel just like that woman. There are days when you feel so unworthy, so ashamed of your sins, so ashamed of what you did on that Saturday night that you don't even want to come to church, let alone take communion. You see the sin in your life. You see the sin in your heart. You know how little you love God and the things of God, and you know how much you love the world and the things of this world, and you feel so unworthy to come to the Lord's table. You feel like you have no right to receive the bread or to take the cup. And like the woman, you would rather just let the cup pass. Tonight, if you feel that way, I have good news for you. You see, this table is not for righteous people who get it right all the time. It's not for people who never sin. It's not for people who are worthy. You see, this table is a table for people who sin and who make big messes in their lives. This table is for people who know that they are undeserving and unworthy. This table is for people who know that they're broken, who know that something's wrong on the inside. Something's wrong with their heart. This table is for people who are frustrated with themselves and frustrated with, their, with, with what they do. This table is for people who cry from the heart, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of this death. You see, friends, this table is for people who desperately need to hear from Jesus. My child, your sins are forgiven. You see, this table is where sinners can find grace. And the only reason why unworthy sinners like you and me are welcome to this table is because of Jesus, because of what Jesus did for us. You see, the price of your admission to this table and the price of my admission to this table has been paid in full. It was paid for by Jesus, and Jesus paid for it not with silver and gold, 
but with his precious blood. In order for us to have access to this table, it cost Jesus everything. It cost him his life. Yes, it's free for you and me, but it cost Jesus everything to secure a place for you, for me to be at this table. And friends, this here is the gospel, that Jesus, the Son of God, because of his great love for us, would come down from heaven to earth in the form of a man. And he lived the perfect life that you and I were supposed to live, but we never could. And then he died the death on the cross that you and I were supposed to die for our sins, but now we never will. And then Jesus rose from the dead, and he went back up into heaven, where he now sits at the right hand of God in front, and one day he will come again to make all things new and all things right. And Jesus did all of that so that you and I could have a place at this precious table, so that you and I could be seated and welcomed as forgiven, adopted, and adored sons and daughters of God. You see, coming to this table is not a matter of what you've done or what you're going to do. It's a, matter of, it's a matter of what's already been done for you by Jesus. You see, this table is a table of grace. It's a table for sinners, for sinners who have been loved by Jesus, for sinners who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And that's the first reason why you should come to this table tonight, because sinners are welcome to this table. Sinners like you, sinners like me, people who need grace. And at this table, you will find grace. The second reason why you should come to this table is because this table is a table of satisfaction. Now, in, verse 17, in verses 17 to 21 of our text, Jesus said that one of his 12 disciples would betray him. Now, we all know that, that it would be Judas who would betray Jesus. But let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered why? Why would Judas betray Jesus? What would motivate Judas to do such a thing? Have you ever thought about that? I have. Well, I think it's because Judas was disappointed by Jesus. It's because Jesus didn't give Judas what he really wanted at the end of the day. And what was it that Judas really wanted? But Judas loved. And what he wanted more than anything, more than Jesus, was money. Do you like money? I like money. Money is a good thing. And it's good to like a good thing. So it's good to like money. But the problem arises when we begin to love money. When we begin to need money to feel significant, to feel secure, and to be happy. The problem arises when we begin to put our hope in money, when we, when we begin to look to money to give us what only God can give us, right? Like so many people throughout human history, and like many people today, Judas believed what I'm going to call the gospel of money. And the gospel of money says this, that money will make you happy, that money will satisfy your soul. And Judas believed the false gospel of money. And money is what Judas wanted from Jesus. You see, Judas wasn't following Jesus to get Jesus. Judas was following Jesus. He was, he was using Jesus in order to get what he really wanted, which was money. And Ju Judas was willing to follow Jesus and to put up all the demands of following Jesus from town to town. He was willing to be a good disciple, at least for a time, if at the end it would pay off and that he would get what he really wanted. You see, Judas was expecting a payoff for following Jesus. But there was a defining moment when Judas realized that Jesus was not going to make him rich, when he realized that Je Jesus was never going to give him what he really wanted. And that defining moment happened immediately before our text in verses 3 to 11. It happened 
when Jesus praised Mary for wasting all of her extremely expensive perfume to anoint Jesus' feet. You see, to Jesus, what Mary did was beautiful and sacrificial. It was an act of worship. It was an act of deep love and complete devotion. But to Judas, what Mary did was senseless and, and foolish. It was an act of economic mismanagement. It was a total waste of money. And it made Judas extremely angry, and he publicly and harshly criticized Mary for what she did, saying, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, 300 denarii was about a year's uh, worth of wages. Think about how much you make in a year. That's a lot of money. But we know that Judas said what he said, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief, and because he was put in charge of the money bag, and he helped himself to the money that was in it. And Jesus, instead of agreeing with Judas, rebuked him, saying in verse 6, Leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. That was the defining moment. That's the moment when Judas realized that he wasn't going to get rich by being on Jesus' team. And that's when he decided to switch teams and to betray Jesus. That's when Judas agreed to sell out Jesus for 30 pieces of gold, or for silver, for money. You see, if Judas couldn't get his money by befriending Jesus, then he was going to get his money by betraying Jesus. He was going to get what he wanted either way. You know, I think it's so tragic that Judas missed it. Jesus is right there, but he missed it. He was so close to Jesus, they could have used the same dipping sauce. That's how close Judas was to Jesus. But he missed it because he made Jesus the means to an end instead of wanting Jesus himself. Judas is right there at that table with the only one in the universe who could have truly satisfied his heart and his soul, but he missed it because his heart was set on money and not on Jesus. Friends, Jesus is not just the host of this table. He's also the bread on the table. Jesus is the true and living bread come down from heaven. He is the bread of life that satisfies the hunger of the human soul. And at this table, we find and we experience what we, as those who have been created in the image of God, truly and deeply need, which is this, to be known by God, to be accepted by God, to be loved by God. That is what we need, to be with God. As St. Augustine said, our hearts are restless until they come to rest in thee, O God. You see, friends, at this table, you are a friend of Jesus, and he loves you. Some of you need to hear this. Jesus doesn't just love you. He likes you. He wants you at his table. He's glad that you're at his table. You're not tolerated here. You're celebrated here. You're wanted here. Jesus sings with joy over you when you come to his table. You see, and when you believe that, when you believe that Jesus loves you and accepts you and wants you at his table, your soul will finally experience the satisfaction it has been longing for your whole life. Friends, what you want, what your soul wants more than anything is for God to know your name and for God to love you. And at this table, you get to experience that. Let me ask you, friends, are you, like Judas, trying to use Jesus in order to get what you really want, whatever that might be? Do you come to church every Sunday and do you work hard to live as a good Christian so that Jesus will bless you with the things that you really want? Maybe you're single. And what you really, really want 
is to find Mr. Right or, or, that, or, that, or that girl that you can marry. Maybe you're working, and what you really want is to have a lot of success in your career. Maybe you're married, and what you really want is a better marriage. Maybe you're a parent, and what you really want is for your son or your daughter to succeed academically, athletically, socially. Let me ask you, what if that doesn't happen? What happens when following and serving Jesus and working hard to be a good Christian doesn't pay off? What happens, single person, if you never get married? What happens, hardworking career man or woman, if you lose your job? What happens if your spouse leaves you? What happens if your 16-year-old daughter shows up one day at home and she's pregnant? What happens then? What do you do when Jesus disappoints you? What will you do when Jesus doesn't give you what you really, really want? What do you do when Jesus gives you something you don't want? What do you do then? You see, if you're worshiping, following Jesus, because you're trying to use Jesus to get what you really want, you will be disappointed with Jesus because you're never going to get everything that you want. And when you get disappointed by Jesus, then you'll want to switch teams and betray Jesus just like Judas. Friends, tonight maybe you're realizing at this very moment that you have unwittingly been trying to use Jesus to get the things that you really want, to get the things that you think will satisfy your soul. Then tonight, if you're coming to that awareness, I would urge you to repent and and to change your mind, to change the way you think. Would you repent of trying to use Jesus to get something that's far less than Jesus, to get something that can't even compare to Jesus? And I would urge you to believe with all of your heart right here and right now, that the risen and living Lord Jesus that you meet with at this table is infinitely better, infinitely more beautiful, infinitely more valuable, infinitely more satisfying than anything or anyone that you could ever find in this world. I would urge you to believe, not just with your head, but also with your heart, that the Jesus that you meet with at this table can truly satisfy your soul like nothing else or no one else can. Now, Pastor Scotty Smith uh, has a blog on the Gospel Coalition website, and he records his uh, daily prayers on on his blog. And I read that blog pretty much every day, one of my favorite uh, blogs. And uh, let me share with you one of the prayers that he recorded uh, a couple of years ago. It goes like this. It's It's a great prayer. Jesus, in my most sane moments, I realize that only you can slake the deepest thirst of my soul. Only you can give me the bread I constantly crave. Even if I got my will and my way about everything else, there would still be a Grand Canyon-sized vacuum in my heart shaped like you. Even if people thought everything I want them to think about me, did everything I want them to do for me, said everything I want them to say about me and to me, it would not be enough. Even Even if I lived in the climate of my choice, had all the money in the world, and had the church of my dreams, even if I had a trout on every cast, sank every putt, and could run a marathon a day, even if I could eat all the chocolate I want and not gain weight, spend time with all kinds of people and never have a disagreement, move my entire family and favorite friends to Switzerland, it would not be enough. Jesus, you are heaven to me, period. Though I may want a bunch of other stuff, you alone are the one I desire. You are the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 
You know, I love that prayer. Isn't it true, friends, that Jesus is heaven to us? Jesus is the one that we desire, the only one who can satisfy our souls. So that's the second reason why you should come to this table, because this table is a table of satisfaction. You get to come to the one, the only one who can satisfy you. And third reason, the third and last reason we should come to this table is because this table is a table of hope. What we do here at this table is a foretaste of our future hope, a foretaste of our future joy in the kingdom of God. In verse 25, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. You see, this table points to another table, to another table in another world. It points to the heavenly table that is at the center of that heavenly banquet in the kingdom of God. You see, every time we come to this table, we are invited to look up and to look forward to that heavenly table to which we will all go one day. And there, at that heavenly table, we will see Jesus as he is, and we will be made like him. And we will be with him forever in the kingdom of God, and our souls will know the eternal and unending joy of being in the presence of God, the presence of a God who smiles at us. And there is love in his eyes. Every time we come to this table, we're called to remember our heavenly hope. You see, our hope is not to live here in this fallen and broken world forever. That's not our hope. Our hope is to live there in the kingdom of heaven forever. In that place where there is no more sickness, no more suffering, no more violence, no more injustice, no more fear, no more sin and no more death. One day we will enter into the new heavens and the new earth and everything will be perfect. The world will be perfect and we will be perfect. Our love for God will be perfect. Our love for one another will be perfect. It will be paradise in every sense of the word. About a year ago, I had a very special moment with my youngest daughter, Lizzie. She was about eight years old at the time. And every night before I tuck her into bed, I have this ritual. I, I, I snuggle with her. I tickle her. I make her giggle. And it's it just a moment that I have with my eight-year-old. And, and that night, I was just so overcome with love for my daughter. I said, Lizzie, I love you so much, I can't contain myself. And I was tickling her. And she was giggling and laughing. And then she looked at me and said, Daddy... Will you still be my daddy in heaven? Will you remember me in heaven? Will you still love me in heaven? And I looked at her and I said, of course, I'll still love you in heaven. And then she said something so profound. She said, that's right. In fact, you'll love me even more in heaven because in heaven, you'll be a better man. <laughs> Talk about heavenly wisdom coming from the mouth of babes, right? And friends... Here is the hope of the gospel. I won't just be a better man. I'm going to be a perfect man. And I'm going to love her perfectly. I'll be perfect like Jesus because I will be glorified with him. That is my hope. And that is your hope. You see, here at this table, we get to remember the heavenly hope that awaits us as followers of Jesus. Friends, tonight, I want to invite you to this table. Come to this table. Because this table is a table of grace. At this table, you will know the joy of all your sins forgiven. The joy of being accepted and loved by Jesus. Come to this table because this table is a table of satisfaction. 
at this table, you'll get to commune with the one who loved you and laid down his life for you. His beauty, his love, and his friendship. That is what your soul wants and needs tonight. More than anything, that is what you need. And only Jesus can fill that void and that emptiness in your heart with himself. And would you come to this table? Because this table is a table of hope. This table speaks to you of a better and greater world that is yet to come. One day, you will see Jesus as he is, and you will be made like him, and you will be with him in that place that is better and greater than you could ever hope or imagine. Amen. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you that you would invite us, unworthy sinners as we are, to come to the table of your son. And we now have access to this table because of what Jesus did for us through his life, death, and resurrection. That through him, we now have access into your presence. And once we enter in, we do not need to be afraid. Because when we look up, we see a God, not with a frown or anger in his face, but a God who is smiling, delighted over us. Thank you that we can call you Abba, Father, and know the love of God the Father as sons and daughters of God right here at this table. So tonight, would you cause us to come to this table with fresh joy and to know the joy of our salvation. Amen.